Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Ed. Hello. Hello, hello. That was loud. (laughs) Yeah, especially any of you just turned on. Fuck! (laughs) It's late on a Sunday night and I was trying to inject some energy into this show. Energy! shit everybody up and uh, and made them wish that they had turned, you, turned it down. Well, if everyone shit themselves after that, they should probably go to a doctor. Well, or not at the moment. Well, okay, yeah. Maybe dial 101 or 111 <laughs> or whatever the number is. Don't go to a doctor. <laughs> I've just shit myself. Well, clean it up, you messy bastard. <laughs> uh, sounds like my three-year-old. Daddy, I've done a poo. <laughs> Good stuff. Good, good. <laughs> no, actually, to be fair to her, even even she manages to almost always go to a toilet and do it. Is she uh, well on the way to being potty trained? Oh, she is potty trained, mate. She's been potty trained good. for ages. The only thing nice. is, she can't wipe her own ass, so um, you do have to go like wipe her ass for her. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Yeah, she can she can wee and dab, <laughs> if for, for want of a better <laughs> phrase. But when it comes to um, cleaning the other side, she always has to call for help. She's not quite grasped that yet. Well, I don't think she'd do a very good job anyway, I think. I yeah. think it should leave some remnants. So um, Get her yeah. a wet wipe. Plus also, to be honest, I'm unhappy with the amount of toilet roll she uses. Like, the amount yeah. of times that she's gone for a wee on her own, she's like, because obviously she is potty trained, she can just go, get up and go for a wee when she wants. She's going for a wee and I go look at the toilet, she hasn't flushed it, and there's about half a l- fucking loo roll in <laughs> up there where she's obviously just taken so much toilet roll just to dab. Yeah. <laughs> One dab. <laughs> it's like, um, Summer, can you, you know how expensive and how lucrative loo roll is at the moment? You know, it's a premium, let's not fucking just chuck it down the toilet. You need to get sponsored by Johnny for toilet roll. Yeah, you'd think actually that he would be able to sort us out uh, a good deal. Yeah, yeah pack, pack a pound or something, pound a pack. Pound a pack. For a big pack, like 16 rolls, not four. I um, what, If anyone does want a decent deal, Tesco's tend to have, I think it's 24 rolls of Cashel for, 20, for 10 quid. That's quite good. 10 quid for 24 rolls. They are the same ones that used to be buy one, get one free in macro, the wholesalers, but since coronavirus or COVID-19 or... SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, uh, has been around. They are no longer doing multi-deal, multi-deal things like buy one, get ones and that type of stuff, which is quite annoying. What got me was when they were like, oh my God, we're running out of pasta, flour and toilet roll. Everyone's bought buying it. But all those things were also on offer. Uh, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the old supermarkets did soon change any multi-buy mm. offers and they got rid of them for that reason to stop people basically stockpiling shit. But... It took took them a while to go. Oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't keep offering the Charmin on cheap. <laughs> but the thing is that maybe they can bring some of those stuff back now. As as I mean, as far as I'm aware, there isn't really any supply chain issues now. I, I don't think there's anything that nowadays, like over the last few weeks especially, that I've not seen anything missing on shelves anymore. No, no, yeah, sort of all the things that like bread flour and stuff like that that people were struggling for. Tesco yesterday had all loads. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, I can't think of anything on the shelves that were, was empty apart from you know, your general barbecue stuff and stuff like that that people were stockpiling for the for that evening. Uh, yeah. Oh well, anything new to report? Anything interesting? Uh, if you want your pup date, uh, Nala has now learned how to full on swim. Um, <laughs> we yeah, front stroke, to, back stroke. 
uh, doggy paddle, believe it or oh, not. Doggy paddle. Okay. Uh, and she does a pretty good like dolphin stroke almost. Uh, <laughs> bear with me. So we yeah, we went to uh, a friend's farm, and he's got a stream that runs through one of the fields or like alongside one of the fields. And he suggested, "Oh, we'll take the dogs, let them play in the stream, and we can have a, a socially distanced picnic." Um, so, so that's what we've been doing today, and uh, we went down this bank to this uh, stream. And when he said, we'll go to the stream, I thought he meant, you know, we'll set the side, let the dogs run around in the water. No, he meant we were going to go on like a mile walk down, the, like in the stream. And the, the sides are probably 10 foot high on each side once we kind of got in there. Um, and I'm there just in like normal smart shorts, uh, not sport shorts or anything. <laughs> and they're all there in like swim gear and flip flops. And we were there in trainers. And yeah, so... We ended up pretty much just skinny dipping um, through this stream, but it was yeah very nice, and we dried off in the sun. And but it got quite deep and went up to my waist at one point. And uh, so yeah, so Nala had to <laughs> learn how to swim pretty quick. Um, she's about as tall as my knee at the moment. So, uh, but then they've got a wired-haired pointer, so that's about the size of a lab. And uh, he was like jumping on top of her in the water and stuff, so she didn't really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, so she learned to swim. Um, which was pretty pretty cute, but this dolphin stroke. So when it was a bit too deep for her to walk, um, she was like bounding through the water, and it looked like she was doing the the whole dolphin stroke that they get you to to do in swimming lessons when you're like ten years old. It was quite cute. So yeah. mm. that's my uh, weekly pup date. Mm. Anything else? Um, no, none of my wooden gym equipment has broken on me yet. Uh, it's all going strong. Which is. An absolute miracle, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so my uh, my godfather is a builder, and he must have been talking to my dad's sister, my auntie. Not not they're not like yeah. Um, and uh, he must. Have been, I saw my auntie earlier in the week, and she said that I, he his, to quote him uh, somewhere along the lines of I was uh, a fucking idiot and I was going to break my neck if I'm not careful <laughs> because it didn't look very strong um, but yeah fool, fool you all uh, yeah anyway, I think at the moment it's defying physics that's <laughs> uh, just well made that was a sturdy shed which has become sturdy gin equipment wow okay for now either that or I'll lift like an absolute pussy and don't put enough weight on it well Anyway, I still think it's going to break that thing sooner or later, and it is a matter of time before we have to arrange your funeral. I'm sorry to have to say that right now, but but none none of you can come because you can only have like five people at a funeral. No, what are you telling me? I wouldn't be in your top five. Um, it's like Bebo, isn't it? Uh, top five. What? Be- be- remember what? Be- Bebo? No, nope. back in the days of MySpace, Bebo. And MySpace, remember? Wasn't that like top seven or something? I think MySpace did it, but then Bebo did it as well. I think you had to do your top eight. Never a top Bebo. Eight I was never Bebo. No. Maybe because maybe it was slightly younger uh, around the days of MySpace. Because I never really had MySpace. I did. Uh, I only had MySpace though to try and hit on chicks. <laughs> that was what MSN Messenger was for. I used to come home and be like, "What are you up to?" W U U two. How do you meet? <laughs> things, how do you meet someone on Messenger? Well, you must already know them know, to, to their message well yeah yeah because you have to have their email address yeah. yeah well I meant as in like you can MySpace used to be able to like search locals or like by by like city and stuff so I just add <laughs> random Norwich women and just be like hey how you, how you doing <laughs> what, 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 W-U-U-2 <laughs> but, um, yeah that's the only reason because at that, that point MySpace as well was kind of like specifically created for music artists 
to yeah, connect. Yeah. Um, and then people started jumping on the bandwagon to create, obviously, what is now Facebook type of thing. But that soon died off, and everyone moved Facebook. So yeah, and then uh, now they're ticking, talking, and uh, the worst bit about that TikTok app is it doesn't even tell the time. I have never used it, and. I'll be honest, my dislike for it is probably going to mean I never will. In fact, I watched people's videos. I had this conversation yesterday sitting on the Sun Lounger next to Jenna with her because she showed me a video of someone she used to work with. Now, let's hope that person doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, (laughs) But she showed me this video and it was fucking ridiculous. It was basically uh, her, her husband and two children doing the most mediocre, boring looking like routine dance. It it, It was like zombies dancing around like this is fucking horrendous what is this and she's like oh like i usually like tiktok but this is that's just rubbish isn't it and i was like i fucking hate tiktok i see people doing just thinking can you not do you not have anything better to do your life now i'm probably we might lose half of our listeners so like we might go down to two now instead of four but honestly fucking to if that's what you're using to do to entertain yourself then fucking i don't yeah have a word with yourself what is it they use in fucking Facebook groups nowadays? Give your head a wobble. I have times I see people say, oh, give your head a wobble. That noise is <laughs> as well, actually. People saying, give your head a wobble. Uh, Alex will occasionally, when I'm very bored, she doesn't have an account or anything. Or, uh, she'll sure, just sure. Browse, browse the uh, the videos and she'll send me the odd one when I'm at work. And thank God she's going back to work tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so she'll stop sending me shit. But some of the ones she sends me are, are quite funny. But they're all just... 15 million versions of the same video or the same dance yeah that's all the app is no interest in it i just think if you just if you kind of put into perspective the reality of what people are doing as in filming themselves dancing that type of thing and sharing around it's fucking ridiculous and i and i'll be honest i am a fucking grinchy old bastard because i i can't stand like love island and you know all of those little faddy things i just i don't know why i just have an aversion to them i think it's just my personality I'm just a grumpy old scene. Yeah. It's Tuesday, aren't I? Yeah. But. Uh, we were walking through some woods uh, on Friday and uh, there's a bit of a stream in these woods and uh, there were some girls on the other side of the stream and they were quite clearly filming themselves dancing. So we assumed for ticking and talking and uh, we had a little sort of chuckle to ourselves um, and then some young lads were walking past and then we'd get going shouting, TikTokers! <laughs> they were walking past. Jesus. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what it's come to. And then we were walking through the estate and there's a park in the middle of the estate just down the road from where we live and uh, there was a girl. She was must have been on speakerphone or by FaceTime to somebody and then she put this phone because she was talking and kind of, oh, she might have just been filming herself and then she put the phone down against like one of the struts of the the park apparatus and then started doing this dance and it was just like just bizarre like from the outside in it just looks so so weird um yeah so anyway enough about ticking and talking ticking and talking it seems quite bizarre um Mm. what's been should i say what's been going on with me um we'll we'll find out about you nothing really interesting if I'm not. it's been growing your beard out <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm getting a lot of comments on my beard now so it must be getting quite exceptional that's all I can you're, yeah you're, you're, it's been, getting I, I would say at least at least three comments a week for the, for the, for the listeners who haven't seen it imagine oh, it's quite dark in here isn't it a good pubie bush hey uh, whoa whoa that is, whoa. <laughs> that is Brett's chin strap right now uh, I'd say a solid pubie bush that that would be the description I'd give it I think that's out of order 
so you're going all, all Adam Hill. I, I think I said it last time we were on. Um, when he didn't shave until Brexit was over. You, you know, you, that, is essentially, you that is essentially what's happening here. <laughs> not, not shaving until we get no deaths. Well, I haven't trimmed my beard or done much other than, other than trim my neck uh, while I do my hair since lockdown started, which was obviously like 10 weeks ago. So you can imagine it's quite good. Yeah, definitely. It's quite long, good... actually, isn't it? How long, how long do you reckon that is if I pull that out? Inch and a half, two inches, two inches. Ray, what about my beard? Ray, <laughs> bad spell. <laughs> um, don't film this. <laughs> what, what else is happening? So I uh, don't know if I said last week, but um, week before last, I resumed my diet. Sorry, oh, okay. sorry, listeners. I'm just plugging in my MacBook because the battery is getting low. Um, so I resumed my diet uh, after having a five-week break, I think. Five week, maybe six week break. So um, aiming for around maintenance. Um, my weight did slightly increase on average two or three out of the five weeks by, I don't know. I think I probably over the whole five weeks ended up being like a pound and a bit extra heavier, which over five weeks is not a huge it's amount. I think it kind of went up like half a pound, stayed same, went down a tiny bit, went up half a pound. And then obviously the average over the five weeks ended up being about a pound up, um, which to be fair could quite easily be other things other than body fat. Um, it could be glycogen extra storage obviously as I'm eating more it could be water it could be loads of stuff so I think mission achieved in terms of maintaining um, and just hoping, hopefully reducing some of the diet fatigue and stuff which was the, the main idea um, not that I was in a horrendous space from dieting I certainly could have kept pushing a bit bit more but because I started at 195 and I ended up breaking at about 174 maybe, maybe 175 so over 20 pounds so best part of nine kilos. So a decent amount of weight lost. And I think once you get to that kind of like around that 10% weight loss, I, I notice that a lot of people then start to struggle a little bit from that point. So therefore something like a diet break might be useful at that point to um, help dissipate some of that fatigue and, and kind of give them a psychological break as well just to crack on. So basically what I did, so I restarted that last week. First week, a bit weird, nothing really happened. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've just slashed like about 700 calories off my fucking diet what's happened here um so yeah i didn't see any any much change at all for like eight days then all of a sudden just my weight suddenly went boom 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 dropped about three pounds in the space of two days so interesting yeah so um with your five weeks did you set yourself uh, like a rough maintenance calorie target or were you kind of at libertin what, what uh, oh yeah no yeah i was still tracking um so i was still tracking foods still tracking full macros um i estimated what i thought my new maintenance would be and just basically stuck around there now i wasn't 100 percent strict so there was a tiny bit of ad lib to meeting going on but for the most part it was the tracking was to keep me around a level with, with knowing for well there'd be a little bit of flexibility here and there but you know i might have only overate by 100 or 200 calories some days um which to be honest i probably psychologically set myself a slightly lower maintenance than maybe i i, I thought might be required on that basis because i know yeah. my, i know my own habits well yeah so. yeah um so when you're in in terms of how strict you are when you're dieting compared to when you're in a maintenance phase like that are you as religious in the way you track and weigh and i'm not saying do you miss stuff off but do you instead of going right okay i'm definitely going to weigh these potatoes do you kind of go ah that's about 200 grams i almost never weigh foods Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
so even when unless the only time i really ever have is when i I get very close to like a strict deadline so like the photo shoot when you know i might get in the last month or two where i start to think right i better start weighing out things but as we know when the photo shoot we did last time i didn't get a chance to wear out a lot of my foods in none because i was eating out four times a week for the month leading up so that didn't really work but for most part i'll be honest i don't feel like because i because most people's diets at that point when they're getting towards um or, or when they're dieting most people's diet should consist of high volume lower calorie foods mostly whole foods and the types of foods that are going to have an impact if you miss weight or make a mistake are going to have are going to be so few and far between or certainly a lot less frequent than they should then then obviously they would be at other phases of dieting that i don't think you ever get to what we need to weigh now obviously the caveats to that are you have the, you've got the experience you've got nutritional experience you know what foods kind of energy density of foods are and you've got you've been tracking before so you've got a good eyeball of of what's what and if you're doing that i think for most people dieting shouldn't re- probably have to weigh out things like potatoes shouldn't have to weigh out their veggies shouldn't have to weigh out their lean meats probably and that type of stuff yes you could probably say it makes sense to weigh out maybe some of the few foods like your peanut butters and your things that are more calorically dense Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. but this is what I mean by like for most people dieting those types of foods are so few and far between anyway that it's not like you're going to be mismeasuring 50 grams of peanut butter every day because you're probably not going to be eating 50 grams of peanut butter a day I mean no, some people exactly. might some people might be but I think there's better things to spend your calories on isn't well, it? I just yeah I think I would probably try and coach people into other behaviors unless it was something that they really they just really like peanut butter and they want to include in their diet which obviously they could and then I might suggest yes they do weigh yeah, yeah. That ties in nicely to what we've been speaking about the last uh, sort of three or four weeks, where we've been talking about kind of being a bit more slightly mindful about things and moving away from the strict tracking and kind of the orthorexic behaviours around that. Um, yeah. Do you ever sort of check in on yourself and say, right, okay, you know, I'm thinking this is around 200 grams, 250 grams. Do you ever just sort of weigh just to sort of see if you're right uh, or if you weigh off? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I suppose, but not not very frequent if i'm honest i'm quite yeah. i'll be honest like, the, the times i have done it's usually for a laugh and for instagram material or something mm-hmm. i'll just yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll like measure it and just see how close i can get and film it for my story just just to show off how good i am at guessing the weights of foods so, <laughs> fair enough just for, uh, yeah, just for a laugh yeah so i was uh, consulting with a new client this week and he's um quite a high level cyclist and um he was saying uh, we we're going through his pre pre-race slash pre-big ride strategies of what he, how he was sort of not so much carb loading but what he was eating kind of the meal before the ride and such and um he was saying oh yeah sort of 60 70 grams of oats something like that and then he texts me yesterday morning saying um yeah i hadn't been weighing my oats the last few weeks um i've actually been having more like 120 to 140 grams of oats just way way off so it's quite easy to slip isn't it like i mean he's trapped for the best part of 12 months but yeah that can can easily happen i'll be honest with this happens to everyone i think gradually you just especially in dieting behavior you kind of naturally just start to sprinkle a little bit more and you things can soon easily slip and you Mm -hmm. start to just kind of maybe even unknowingly just add add more than than you probably should do so it, i think for some people it might be very useful to kind of do that kind of regular check-in in the same way as you would do with your lifting you know like i was having this conversation this morning um about training with someone just around over time as you chase numbers you're trying to obviously try to improve things like your intensity on the bar and and kind of put the weights up 
it's easy to start what letting other things slip like form range of motion and other things to basically continually progress instead of you know plateauing or stalling and you do regularly have to kind of go and do a bit of an audit and assessment and then think to yourself whoa I may have put 30 kilos on my squat. However, I've also lost about 10 inches of range of motion over time <laughs> because I didn't realize because I was just basically cutting corners to, to, base, to basically keep up that progression. That does happen. And that's no different than kind of nutritional approach that over time you do start to get a little bit lax in what you might think is something you're eating and not. And it might even be like, you, you know, over time you forget snacking meals that you're doing or bites, licks and tastes and stuff. And you then regularly have to sometimes go, well, what am I doing? Like, I've suddenly realised that I've now started eating from the fridge twice a day, which I didn't. Which is obviously something that probably a lot of people are doing during lockdown. You know, the, you start, yeah, you start getting those foods in that are easy to snack on, don't you? You usually kind of have that sort of religious approach to food and stuff, and then you get those bits in which you can snack on little snacky sausage rolls or you know cocktail sausages, leftovers, that sort of stuff, and you you do end up um, nibbling. I, I find that more so probably in the summer than the winter. Because you go for things like picnics, you have barbecues and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot more snacky bits in the, in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. So to but, keep check. So um. So anyway, start a diet, and I thought it was a bit of a strange. I didn't. I promise. I expected it to probably drop a lot sooner because I expected again like loss of glycogen, water, that type of stuff. And weirdly, it didn't happen for the first week and a bit. So I don't really know why. But uh, also start a new. So I think training wise, I started a new primer phase today which maybe we'll do something although actually i think we probably have with steve hall i think before actually i think he might have talked about primer phases on one of the episodes yeah is it the second time he was on might have been i can't remember i think yeah, yeah i think you're right because i think first time we did diet breaks and refeeds and stuff didn't we but yeah i think the second yeah. time we might have talked about primer phases but essentially for those that don't know primer phase is almost like the easiest way i can describe them um is and there isn't huge amounts of research or evidence to kind of back up this but i think anecdotally a lot of people would kind of say that they're useful um but they're basically elong elongated deloads so basically go instead of having like a week deload where a, a deload week might be a case of having you know like a week of either complete rest or a week of reduced volumes and reduced intensities to basically allow diet fatigue to dissipate, um, sorry, not diet fatigue, just fatigue in general to dissipate. So like basically from from weeks, months or whatever of, of training and obviously trying to push push hypertrophy um, or any type any type of adaptation really. But assuming we're just talking about hypertrophy because obviously that's what we're interested in and obviously what I'm specifically interested in. So obviously Delo might do that as a kind of a temporary measure to then be able to kind of go and re-push again and force some more adaptations. But that obviously can only keep going for so long before you kind of reach a, a higher level of almost overtraining or overreaching where you kind of need a bit more. And the idea of a primer phase is to kind of help kind of dissipate more fatigue than what a delo would do, but also set you up as a, I suppose, a primer because of its name, I suppose it gives it away to, to more muscle growth for the longer term. So the way you would kind of do that is by much like a deload, you'd reduce volumes, but over a longer period, so maybe like either a whole mesocycle or two. So my mesocycles generally last between, uh, if you count the like eight most deloads, because I do, we, me and John obviously talked about deloads last week. Um, I do usually deload every kind of, works out mostly around every four, five or six weeks, depending upon obviously like my nutritional status, how fatigued I'm feeling, that type of stuff. Um, but 
that could end up being like either one mesocycle of five, four, five or six weeks, or maybe two where you're doing like a primer phase before you then move on to kind of your more traditional hypertrophy training again. So that primer phase would basically be a case of um, reducing volume. So your set numbers, reducing those a lot down, but unlike a deload, having a lot higher intensities. So an example might be where you were doing like a back squat for 120 by well, maybe not 120 because obviously I'm pissed for a week but let's say I was doing a back squat for 100 by a dozen say which is what I think I ended up on my last week of my mesocycle on my higher rep days um, if you want to okay, bring that on to like a primary phase you might say well I was doing that that by four sets so reduce that maybe to two sets obviously maybe add a little bit of weight to the bar to reduce your rep range right down so you've got higher intensity and light rep range Um so you might end up doing 120 by three or four, what say, whatever, you know, as a rough, rough idea, um, by only a couple of sets. So, so what you've done there is you've reduced the set volume, but you've kept the intensity high so that you're essentially maintaining and possibly improving on your strength. But the idea is those lower set volumes are still more than enough to maintain your muscle. So I guess the primer phase, really, the objective is to help you keep and stimulate any muscle that you've, you've obviously, um, accumulated over your training period but it's low enough volumes to allow other fatigue things what you just basically other fatigue that you build up during your your you know your working like meso cycles it's good sense? to yeah yeah so it, it is good to have sometimes that, that slightly like if you deload every four or five weeks and for a week and you you reduce volume and all that sort of stuff um sometimes like you say yeah it doesn't get rid of everything um especially if you're training more well, sort it, of all, it never will and, yeah, yeah. It, it almost never will unless you're not, just not training hard enough generally but yeah 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 if you if you like feel like you never need to deload then you yeah you're not training hard enough um but uh, yeah so like you know any niggles to tendons and ligaments and all that sort of stuff you need the couple more weeks potentially or even longer if it's a, a genuine injury but yeah, yeah. And like central nervous system fatigue just generally that all of that type of stuff it will you know, as you train harder and harder, week and week and week, you can see it peaking and peaking. You obviously have a deload, it'll drop down a bit, and then you train again over your mesocycle and you peak and you drop down. And obviously it will keep going up. You then need to take some some longer periods. And to be honest, the reason I started a primer phase this week, and I realised that this episode's gone on a lot longer maybe as an update than I, the intro <laughs> that I thought it was. But anyway, it's hopefully useful for people to hear. But I probably trained, I haven't changed a lot of my training in the last 18 months, maybe even two years almost. Like I've basically been accumulating volume, haven't really kind of, I've had similar volume like amounts of through all of my mesocycles in that period. Other than training the odd exercise, um, either because maybe a specific exercise has plateaued a bit or for whatever reason, I've just shifted focus on the different muscle groups. Generally, a lot of my training structure has been quite similar over that period. Excuse me, gassy coke. Um, I just thought it's probably useful time for me now to kind of help you know, do something to reduce some of that long-term fatigue that's going to have built up over that period of time, regardless of the deloads that I take. Um, but also, and I don't, I think this is where the evidence is a bit lacking, but again, anecdotally, I think a lot of people feel is something that's important. It's like almost resensitize a bit to volumes because you can't, you can't basically increase volume week on 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 week and expect to keep growing. It just can't happen because you will one. I guess, um, 
not compensate, what's the word I'm looking for? You will adjust or adapt, I suppose, to the volumes. So all of a sudden, like, you have to then keep pushing higher volumes. You know, that's the whole point of progression. You have to keep pushing higher volume to keep, basically, uh, progression happening. So you kind of have to get to a point where you have to do something to resensitize, to allow you to keep going. Because if not, what's the answer? Spend seven hours in the gym because you're having to do 96 sets on squats to grow? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and that's what you do when you, you go through your different cycles. You, you know, like different mesocycles, you would take it up, four sets, five sets, six sets, and then you drop it back down. It's just like that, but a bit more of an extreme version for a few weeks. Right. Yeah, well, as I say, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it extreme, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's a different approach is probably why I would describe it in that, as I say, the point of a, a primer phase is really to hopefully build on some strength because you're obviously doing high intensity, low rep work, but that is still enough set volume to make sure that you're maintaining at least your kind of muscle mass. So, you know, obviously you're not going to do that forever because obviously if your goal is hypertrophy, you still want to then kind of move back to more hypertrophy start training of increasing set volumes and, and volume over time. But hopefully in a place of starting where you're a bit stronger and then obviously being able to kind of lift a bit more weight on the bar as well and then accumulate more volume that way. So. Yeah, hopefully you'll see some progression then through just a slightly different style of training. If you have a little, built a little bit of strength as well in the lower rep work, then you might that might hopefully carry yeah. over to going back into your say sets of ten or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there, there is there is an element of I don't think you'll, I'll ever know whether this is beneficial, like ultimately or not, because one I can't create a control, as in I can't have two bodies one doing my old training and one now doing a primer phase and then carrying on with a different strategy and seeing who had the most muscle at the end you know i can't actually do that can i so and the research out there for like pretty much any training study is never really long enough to measure longitudinal or kind of like outcome based stuff they can only measure kind of mechanistic stuff because the amount of funding must basically and this is this is probably a good segue actually into what we're going to talk about but muscle gain is so slow Basically, there's not enough money, time, or, or or for people to be able to do studies long enough to measure outcomes of most training types of approaches. Yeah, and also if you think about most of the people who are doing these studies, they're either students or old people, and students are only at university for so many months a year, for so many years, so to get enough people to do a study consistently... Um, it's just yeah it's just not very practical yeah well so. that's that's obviously another issue with with tr- with studies in general but obviously training studies in terms of the audience and population that they're aimed at but um yeah they, obviously the studies that we have available to us to look at might measure kind of hypertrophy over a short term in terms of mechanistically and how it works and then also also i guess the the short-term outcomes of you know how much did a muscle actually grow do you know if they take cross-sectional stuff or if they do um, DEXs or ultrasounds or whether they're measuring kind of muscle growth, they can do that. But problem is, is like, how do they know if a particular f- type of training or strategy doesn't just have a nice, quick um, muscle size or hyper, hy- hypertrophic effect on muscle for the first few weeks, but then it doesn't stop over the long term, then they don't grow for the next 20 years versus another strategy which has a slower rate but grows for the next 20 years you just don't know because we don't have mm. that data basically so i suppose it's just not there thinking. yeah no. and people change over time as well don't they like you know if they're into hypertrophy now and trying to gain as much muscle as possible then their attention might shift over a couple of years and and they want to start running yeah and they want to start running or they start doing crossfit <laughs> or they want to take up rowing or you know people people don't necessarily unless you like 
yeah, okay, yeah. Some people do just bodybuilder style of training, don't they, for X amount of years. But and then if you start changing your programs, and then you got to start thinking about programming. Well, do you get everyone to program the same? And there's just too many variables and stuff. And when it's not a, like a lab controlled type yeah, thing, well, my, my 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 point was really though that is so slow, and the fact that we we don't we're never going to really know for certain. I think it's probably a lot of this stuff is not unimportant, but as long as you've kind of got the very basic principles of training in, I think what's going to be more important is doing those over time and being consistent. That's more important than worrying about whether I should do a prime phase or whether I should do this or that, whatever. Just because, as I say, I think to, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I just said. I think yes. I basically yeah. when I say right, I think that's what I believe. Basically, just turning up, <laughs> turn, turning up every day is more important than kind of really trying to focus on some of the small details. But although sometimes for a lot of people, the small details is interesting and, and keeps people motivated. So when you get to it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people like to mix things up a little bit, don't yeah. they, as well? And maybe just the different style of training can be enough to. Uh... Well, I will say, yeah, I will say, Edward, I did enjoy it this morning. As in, like there was there was getting to a point where a lot of my sessions, especially leg days, because obviously they're just a lot of weight and I say a lot, relatively a lot of weight and. You know, it can be quite, um, it can, it can be quite stressful and cause a lot of anxiety. Thinking this is going to be a really tough session, and it's like because I'm obviously trying to progress week on week. It... What a slag! It's what a slag! She's oh Siri, <laughs> always getting involved, isn't she? Um, Just wants to be one of the lads. Shut up! Hey Siri, shut up! You know how to treat a woman. <laughs> I think I think, I think she's. It's good, it's good with Alexa at the moment because when I tell her to turn off, um, it doubles up as a command to the dog as well because it's like, Alexa, off. Uh, and then the dog stops jumping up at me mm. as well. So, all good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, what I was saying is uh, I enjoyed it um, because my for a while now, basically my sessions have been hard, very hard. And you kind of get to this point where, again, a bit like the whole um point around about volume really in terms of how far do you push your volume like it's almost get to the point where how hard could these possibly get they can't keep getting harder and harder and harder because i just don't have any more in me to do anymore so that can obviously cause a lot of anxiety and stress as well for a lot of lifters i think once you've been lifting for a while and you no longer have those kind of quick progression jumps that you do as a newbie in the first year or two when you know things are slow and like things are just getting to the point where every single fucking leg session is just feels like oh my god it's a whole fucking weight on my shoulders that can be quite demoralizing so just even this kind of change up has been nice this morning. Just doing, although they were heavy, like obviously my squats, I had to add weight on the bar what I was previously doing. But I needed two sets. Obviously the reps were, you know, I think I need to end up doing something like three or four reps sets, um, based on what the RPO wanted on week one. So rate of perceived exertion for people that don't know, or reps in reserve, if you want to call it that as well, because um, they can be used interchangeably. Um, so yeah, so I guess like that was just nice to feel like, oh, do you know what? just a different style of training it didn't mentally feel as kind of like tough as as previous weeks so everyone's yeah. now thinking uh cry me a river brett um i'm still doing resistant band squats with my foam roller up the wall well yeah maybe this maybe this was very ill-timed and very insensitive of me to to tell people <laughs> that i still have a gym to go to oh i'm just you know getting really down dan, dan mac will be bitching about you saying that you're moaning oh, about having fuck, a fully equipped gym fuck dan mac he's like he's one of the fucking complex crew isn't he oh let's do a hack squat with 17 <laughs> bands foam rollers and some piece of wood or something <laughs> <laughs> and then a kettlebell balancing fuck, on your head fuck that guy fuck him 
fuck that uh, guy. What gets me is I'm seeing a lot of PTs at the moment. Um, oh, if you don't have this, you can do this and all these sorts of things. And then you see in the background, they're like fully equipped gym. <laughs> You're just like, you are not doing that. Okay, yes, you're trying to help people who don't have that. But then you see they're like full set up in the yeah. back. And you... <laughs> so what, what they've realised is that they've left all the weight in the bar and all their stuff underneath it still. So it's quite obvious they're about <laughs> to finish their video and go straight off and do a massive set of heavy squats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so no, it's what we were going to talk about, as I said, it leads in quite nicely, but um, we were going to talk about a little bit about rate of gain. Rate of weight gain for hypertrophy. Now, mm-hmm. we, I was just going to say we have covered, obviously, bits of these before in our bulking episode we did we've probably talked about other times as well but it's come up a couple of times um in recent conversations and stuff so and we just we kind of got into a little conversation about it so we thought we'd just touch on it again now yeah yeah definitely and it's what a lot of people sometimes are scared to do uh they they kind of know that they probably should be eating a bit more food to gain muscle um but quite often they're scared probably because they see well well before you you go on that i would just like to say i would qualify that let's go for there are a lot of people very much that have what i like to term the form of fat boy syndrome where obviously they are scared but there's also a lot of people that aren't scared in the slightest and probably should be and basically just go too far and obviously that's what we're going to tackle today right yeah 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 yeah. the balance definitely lies in the middle it does so edward you have paused yeah. Are you back? Sorry, you still here? You pause for a still second here. then. What were you saying? <laughs> um, yeah, some people just go gung ho, don't they? And like, I was actually speaking to one of Alex's friends who has been training probably about eighteen months, maybe getting on for two years now, and you know he's made some great gains, really good gains. Um, typical kind of like very slim, knew that he needed sweet food, and now he is like really piling. Not not as in like he's not getting fat particularly, but he's really piling on the weight and. Um, there's a fine line, I think, isn't there? So, uh, yeah. So it's just a case of being a little bit careful. You don't want to overshoot it and just become fat. And, yeah, nobody knows you're left. No. Well, they might let you look in T-shirts. But, um, yeah. So what, do, so what do we reckon in terms of weight of gain? What does the evidence say is kind of optimal? You've got the numbers in front of you. Oh, I have, Edward. I thought you'd remember them. Okay. We would usually recommend for most people around the quarter to half percent per month. So it's basically the same as we'd recommend dieting, but in a much less frequency. So we'd usually do that per week dieting, but per month, we'd usually suggest that people um, kind of look for a a quarter to half percent per month increase. So, you know, if you're... Of their weight. Of their weight, weight. sorry, yes. So if you are 200 pounds, just to make this nice and easy, obviously that would be anywhere from half a pound to a pound per month not per week. Whereas obviously for dieting, if you flip that around, we might be looking at a half a pound to a pound per week dieting to, as in to lose. So it's probably a lot slower and a lot steadier than people think. And I think also with that, um, people probably wouldn't, um, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, it's a lot slower and steadier than people think. And uh, there isn't the kind of the flexibility that you have with uh, weight loss. There's kind of no hard and fast approach, really. Although there is, obviously, you can just gain loads of weight. But is it going to be beneficial? Whereas with a diet, you could argue, yes, that could be beneficial going hard and fast for a month or whatever. Um, it's not as if you have, like, where you have a diet break. 
you don't necessarily have like a we can have a bulk break and pause on the bulk but you don't necessarily like no sorry you don't have a, a sharp dig not a die break you don't have a sharp dig where you say right okay this two weeks we're gonna go really hard and then we're gonna ease off for a week you wouldn't necessarily do that when gaining well i wouldn't anyway no exactly um and i think that might change for some people i guess that rate but I do think it's probably maybe just check, check and double checking back on that actually in terms of the kind of flexibility comment because I suppose I've I've used this a lot or had this conversation with a lot of people before as well around the mindset of bulking and the mindset of massing it has to be kind of often realigned for people because they kind of originally or initially start with this mindset of bulking means being able to eat all the food which mm-hmm. when you're talking that rate of gain that might for a lot of people only be the difference of like for maintenance anyway, you know, two, 300 calories extra, which when you then put that into a quantifiable amount of food, you know, we are talking adding a chocolate bar. Yeah. You know, yeah, add, yeah exactly. or, or, you know, one extra, you know, portion of carbohydrates on and protein, maybe on a meal slightly or something. I don't know. And I, uh, remember back when we did our MNU course, um, Martin McDonald, when uh, one of his staff members, uh, Billy, was bulking and he was going for a long-term bulk, and uh, he said, right, I'm going to give you a crunchy every day, or I expect to see you eating a crunchy every day. It was a crunchy, wasn't it, I think? Um, yeah, it was, it was a chocolate bar a day, because that was the amount that you should be sort of adding to your calories. So you're literally talking like, what, 120, 150 calories, something like that, um, to the day. And he was like basically like, eat normally um but uh yeah just add this add this yeah uh, well, it, then... might, it, it might yeah so say it might be it might not for some people because i guess it depends where you're coming from or i guess if we're starting from someone that's dieting it might be a hell of a lot of increasing calories so it might be an extra seven eight hundred calories thousand calories i don't know but yeah so there was a couple of scenarios that i suppose we wanted to kind of mention um so one could be going from maintenance to or going from kind of whether they know they're maintaining or not. But, you know, if say like a client came to me and said, right, okay, I am this weight, I've been this weight for ages, been weight training, I'm not really seeing any progress in the gym, I want to gain muscle. I'm not too bothered about how I'm looking right now, but I want to gain muscle. Then we'd say, right, okay, well, what are your calories now? And then we would start increasing in small amounts and take it from there. So you might add 100, 150 calories um, and, and see how that goes for a week. If there's no weight increase, then we'd put it up a little bit more again. Uh, whereas if you had taken a client through a diet and whether it was extensive or was a smaller diet, like a bit of a more of a cleanup, um, then uh, yeah, you would have to bring them out of that deficit and then beyond the maintenance. So if they're in a 500 calorie uh, a day deficit, you'd have to take them out of that by the 500 calories and then add the one to 200 calories on top of that. So yeah, so it could be a lot more. Um, so it depends, yeah, where, where that starting point is. Uh, yeah, um, okay. So we kind of agree for most part, slow and steady is kind of wins the race when it comes to muscle gain, purely on the basis of, I suppose some of the things we said around people being scared of excess fat gain, um, which psychologically that could help them. So it might be maybe on those types of individuals slower than you might ideally like for people, but it might also be kind of appealing or lending to their their kind of headspace on it. So you might get someone that you know is scared of putting on body fat. You put them into calorie surplus or a, or a, or a decent he- or hefty cal- um, calorie surplus where they start to see a, quite a 
you know a reasonable weight uh, rate of weight gain and that might then actually cause them to have some issues with um fear of gaining that fat or or looking like they're gaining too fast and therefore losing trust and going backwards and then start to just revert back to you know dieting or, or things because they got too scared so slow and steady would lend itself to helping someone like that because if they don't see two dramatic differences it might then mean that they they don't they do stay the course and they don't revert back to obviously dieting so that that's something that we would probably consider but for some people would you could say that some people could go harder at the start I think it depends on where you're coming from, doesn't it? So just thinking of a couple of different sort of client scenarios. Um, so one we've spoken about in the past where he's done things like bodybuilding competition uh, or a photo shoot where they're very, very lean and you would want to take them, get them to a, a slightly higher body fat percentage just because they are so lean. So that then comes with a whole host of... Um, I don't want to say issues, but kind of things that they've got to play with. So in terms of like hunger, that kind of never ending satisfaction after eating a meal. Um, and then, yeah, kind of all the, the sort of the, the hormonal side of it, especially if they're women. Um, so if you want to try and get them up to a slightly higher body fat percentage, so, you know, say we're talking, you're never going to quite know, but say they're like 3% body fat, say, you know, really shredded, um, like what you see on the picture of like cover of men's health and you're wanting to bring them up a little bit just to get some normal function back some normal feeling um, some yeah normal kind of uh, hunger feelings and all that sort of stuff uh, then yes you would want to go quite a bit harder and gain a few kilos first um, to get them back to some sort of normality that doesn't mean though going and eating 15 pizzas a week and four mcdonald's in a day and some of the stuff you see where people are sharing it on their stories their post-show competition um uh, binges and such because that's just stupid um and i've seen horror and heard horror stories of people gaining 20 kilos in a week and uh, 20 kilos in a couple of weeks um and yeah because i mean it's not all going to be fat but you're going to be in a serious amount of food, haven't you? Um, and that's just taking it too far and being silly because you also then want to grow into that that gain as well to maximise, hopefully, muscle growth and, and sort of maximising the, the bulk for doing it as long as possible without having to go through a, a, a mini cut or a diet, a, yeah, like a little diet again. Uh, yeah. The, there's obviously only... So the... the, the point you said about obviously gaining 20 kilos in a week or whatever and it's not all going to be fat no it's not but to be honest it's also going to be very 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 little if not no muscle because you might grow, yeah. you might gain some muscle size with the glycogen stores and water that's going to be stored in that muscle which will obviously increase the size of that muscle but it doesn't mean you're getting more muscle tissue um and in a week you're basically going to see nothing like muscle muscle growth is so slow mechanistically in terms of actually generating new muscle tissue <sighs> you're talking several weeks, months for any noticeable amount of tissue to be created. And even now there's like suggestions that a lot of the muscle tissue creation, because it's so slow, is only really detectable after, you know, several, several, several weeks. So. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is a slow and steady. And, and the odd person, oh, the odd person, like there is some arguments that you, after an extended diet and when you become very lean in those first few months, you can actually grow more muscle tissue than somebody starting from a higher body fat percentage. Um, 
I'm not entirely sure how true that is. Uh, I've not really seen too much research on it, but there's a few arguments in the bodybuilding coach world. Um, but uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, I'd want to try and maximise every week I can in terms of muscle growth. So if I can uh, gain, like being a bulk for six months, um, then brilliant. Yeah, that's why we take things slow and steady. And like looking at the the data of. Um, somebody like Ben, one of our clients who literally we game for like five to six months uh, with no diet breaks. And then we have a month where we might bring weight down by four or five kilos. And then we go again um, for another five or six months uh, because we do take things very, very slow and steady. So we're maximizing as much muscle growth time as possible and being in that calorie surplus as much as possible. Whereas if you go from a very lean point and say you're 70 kilos then you jump up to 90 kilos in the space of two weeks. Even if you then had a week at maintenance uh, or perceived maintenance and it might drop down to, oh, well, I've only gained 15 kilos of body fat. But you're still probably going to want to take a lot of that off because where if you pushed any higher than that, all you're gaining is, not all you're gaining is fat, but you are just getting fatter and fatter. Um, you know, there's a sweet spot of how much of a surplus you can be in without, you know, with being in that calorie surplus without just gaining too much fat um, and you know there's some arguments where people say oh everybody should do a one dirty walk and get really fat and everything and no just shut up because there's there's that line when you cross it all you're doing is gaining extra fat you're not gaining extra muscle no uh, um, obviously we were desperately try- I was desperately trying to find that study which I thought was by Schoenfeld which compared surplus um, or, or rates of calorie surplus and it lean body mass growth um i couldn't find it but from memory and we have referenced it again before on the a podcast it might be it might not be shown which maybe i can't find it but um they when they compared groups of of uh trained or trained individuals um on a training program and given them one i think it was a 200 calorie surplus another was a 600 from memory and the higher calorie surplus and the lo- and the lower calorie surplus people had very similar rates of muscle gain in that period but obviously the higher calorie surplus put on more weight because they also put on a load of body fat which obviously if you're trying to improve your physique um which i'm going to assume is a case of more lean muscle less body fat you know for most people that is therefore counterintuitive you don't want to be going in a massive surplus and just put an extra body fat for very little more muscle mass which then means which You'll probably then lose when you have to diet again anyway, but um, which just means you have to diet harder to lose the extra body fat you're putting off, which is what I mean why you'll then probably lose that additional muscle that you might have gained from being in that higher surplus anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Now, and if now, you're spending less time in a surplus as well because you're going to spend more time throughout the year dieting, yeah. then it's just, yeah, counterintuitive. You, you've just hit the nail on the head of the bit that I, was, I wanted to add to that because I, I think personal experience and anecdote, I'm starting to find with myself and with clients that the time in a surplus is more important than the size of the surplus or yeah i think that i think it's probably the easiest way to describe it i think it's more important than the, than the size of the surplus in that i think if you compared surpluses no, if you, how am I going to explain this properly? Basically, I think that you're going to see better results if you just spend a longer time in a smaller surplus than 
a shorter time in a bigger surplus, but obviously having to diet because I think this switching between assuming all the rest is equal. So as in like, I'm not explaining this very well. No, at it's, all. It, it's like comparing it to dieting. It's, you know, you're not going to get the same results by somebody who diets, uh, in a 500 calorie deficit for two weeks compared to somebody in a thousand calorie deficit for one week. Yeah. You're not going to get the same results at the end. Like you would with dieting but, in terms of muscle gain. You just, you're right. You might put on the same amount of weight, but there's going to be more fat gain than there is muscle. I think what I'm basically trying to say is that if you could equate for the amount of additional calories someone ate over a long period of time between a slower a slower but sm- and smaller surplus compared to a faster and higher surplus, but then obviously having to diet in between, but then you could equate the actual total amount of surplus you had over that, you know, the same time period, I think you'd see better results slower, basically. Because I think there's just being in that environment of... Main, uh, of hypertrophy as in being in that environment of gaining for for that period has probably more an effect than it would be having like a severe muscle gaining phase and then a severe dieting phase to basically make up for it um because of the obviously being in a like you said really being in a dieting phase will then start to affect obviously the amount of muscle you can build in those periods whereas i think that is more or, or more than accounted for being in a a, a, sl- a smaller surplus for a longer period because you're just in that environment for longer even though it's not as harsh or severe of environment i.e. you know you're not more hypertrophic I think that makes sense I don't know maybe I'll it makes more sense that way you've described it than the but, yeah yeah anyway but obviously that study doesn't exist so it's all completely hypothetical but basically what I'm trying to say is that I try and get people to stay longer in a smaller surplus basically the slow and steady approach for a long period of time because I just feel like it, it just produces better results because you're just in this environment, this this muscle growing environment for a lot longer than you would. I remember was. my so when I competed out many million years ago, when I came out of that and I did my sort of I, I so I competed in sort of November. I then gained until the end of December. I took a couple of weeks at maintenance pretty much because I was going on holiday and then I Walked all the way through till the end of May, and I remember the progress I was making. Like my numbers were literally going up every single week, but they had dropped off the face of the earth. Like I trained so so pathetically pre-competition. I, I went struggling squatting sixty kilos, whereas before I was squatting like one ten for the same amount of reps. Like it was ridiculous. I couldn't even deadlift sixty kilos yet. I could deadlift before that like hundred eighty, hundred ninety kilos. It was like my training had gone really really pathetic. But I had dieted for. A about seven months something like that eight months um but uh i remember the progress i was making was ridiculous like i've never made so much progress in terms of weight on the bar um the the way my body was changing in terms of measurements and the way it was looking and everything um and i was enjoying training so so much uh and then i went through a mini cut in in the may for about a month and my progress just fell off the face of the earth um it just it completely stalled in any pressing movements but it was psychological because i'm like literally one day into the diet i was like i'm in a diet now my bench pressing's gone to shit um even though there was no difference in me physically being in a diet for one day it was like pure mental and um yeah and i kind of really struggled to get it back after that um i went a mini cut for three weeks four weeks something like that and for like months afterwards i really struggled to kind of get back into that um 
into the motion really of, of, of going through that, that kind of gaining phase again so uh, yeah it can really really mess with you uh, yes it can um, I suppose it's also at this point worth stating that you don't necessarily need a calorie surplus to build muscle but it does make things a lot easier um, just because in case we aren't clear on that it, it, we're obviously recommending people gain weight and therefore be in a calorie surplus because it certainly makes the kind of muscle building process easier because you've got you're more sensitive to kind of the anabolic stimulus so muscle protein synthesis and, and that type of stuff compared to being in a deficit where it's then like muted response so or a dampened response um however you can still build muscle in a deficit so you can lose fat and build muscle it's just damn hard and certainly if you're not a newbie and well trained it's a lot harder unless you're on drugs Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and also you've got to think of things like energy levels as well if you're going in for an hour and a half session like you're dead after 40 minutes in a deficit Uh, whereas if you're gaining and you can have things like intra-workout carbs and stuff like that then happy days yeah indeed okay so I guess if we're agreed that for most people slow and steady is the better way to go that kind of quarter to a half percent per month rate Potentially, you could go harder to start with if you have a bit more to like body fat to lose, um, body fat to lose, uh, body fat to gain. Because maybe you might be post diet or post show. Um, on we, we've kind of touched on already, but clearly you have to be careful of kind of rebounds in terms of binges and the kind of psychological aspect of food relationships and things because. Yes, it's good to get back up to a healthy level of body fat because that's the idea of kind of like a post-show diet and obviously like a form of like recovery diet. You want to get back up to healthy levels of body fats, kind of get your energy levels and libido back um, and obviously start to kind of get a, a better regulation of hunger or natural regulation of hunger and stuff again. But obviously you don't want to be doing all that while binging your face off because as Ed would put it, that's one of his favorite phrases. Um, binging your tits binging off. Binging your tits off because obviously that's just going to potentially promote poor eating habits and, and well, even go as far as say eating disorders over a period of time. So, but for some people, you, you know, you, you probably would go harder to start with out of a dieting phase or, or like post-show or something like that and when we say harder we mean obviously like a structured and controlled form of eating back up to kind of maintenance issue levels that type of thing so i think yeah and i suppose like talking about the, the the sort of the post-show stuff you can celebrate with food if you want to and you know go out and enjoy something you haven't enjoyed for the last however many months that's that's fine you know we're not saying you don't go out for a meal don't enjoy a beer don't enjoy a slice of cake but when you see people turning up like i've seen some pretty weird shit when i've been to shows and stuff like people turning up with cakes that they've had made by bodybuilding cake people like there's people out there who make a um a living from making cakes for bodybuilders and things like that for post shows like it's weird shit um and they'll go and they'll have these like amazing looking cakes like fair play they look amazing um and they'll be like 20 tier donut cakes and you know just like really weird like every type of sweet and chocolate in, in the world but then they'll just like it's nice when they share that with everybody and you know oh you know well done everyone we've all worked so hard let's just enjoy a little bit of something but when they're sat there like smashing a whole box of 24 Krispy Kreme donuts uh rubbing the sugar on their nipples like that's weird that is weird um and there's no need for it um so yeah enjoy responsibly I think um that's fine 
as long as it doesn't turn into fucking two month binge is probably what and, and that's kind of what we just said really I suppose yeah Cause, yeah because come on there you go okay okay uh, I know Mike Harrison has talked about it on his Instagram I think because uh, he deals with a lot of prep clients and things like that so whether it's photo shoots or bodybuilding and um, he says like when he I think it was the last time he competed um, so a couple of years ago and he said that the guys who he got chatting to at the shows who who, who were hit the same show as him like were messaging him two or three weeks later saying Look, mate, I need your help. I uh, I've not stopped eating like five, six thousand calories a day, and I've been tracking it, and I've been eating that every single day. And these are the guys that are gaining like ten, twenty kilos in a in a very short amount of time. Um, so yeah, so it can really, really get out of hand. Um, yeah, absolutely. which is scary. Absolutely. So so assuming that people don't do that, um, and they are sticking to this kind of slower and steady rate. How will we measure, or how would you kind of best measure or assess people's, uh, for want of a word, let's say progress rather than weight gain? So, uh, obviously, scale weight, uh, something we're kind of obviously hopped on about a fair bit uh, today and just in general. So, scale weight is brilliant. It's, it's one one thing, though. So, we can look at that. Um, we always look at photos with clients as well. Um, so, compare them week to week, month to month um things like that and then we can also look at things like circumferences as well so if they have been uh, in a uh, calorie surplus or a bulk for three months and you get them to do measurements again however regularly you are measuring whether it's monthly or bi-monthly whatever it is and all that has gone up is their girth uh, their stomach girth their stomach circumference um, then you know they are pretty much just gaining fat. Um, if we're not seeing <laughs> small <laughs> increases kind of across the whole body or across, you know, like their, their arms have increased in size, their legs have increased in size, um, then that's uh, that's a better indication that we're kind of on the right tracks in terms of muscle gain. I, I, I don't know about the, the girth thing. Um, I was going to say, actually, I think there is some... My experience... I think we need, probably need to be quite cautious of girths on on a bulking phase. Um, not necessarily a bulking phase, sorry, girths more on a post-diet phase. So that immediate post-diet phase. Only because I've seen and heard some stories about some weird measurements. So obviously I know you made a joke around the whole stomach and oh, they're obviously just putting on fat if they're just, if only their stomach's going up. But I do think like body fat distribution starts to come a bit skew-whiff and odd when people come out of dieting phase. And that's probably, and I'm not an endocrinologist, but probably to do with things like hormone levels and weird shit and water fluid retention and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I've, I've definitely, I've seen that myself, definitely, in terms of like when I went from being very, very lean to putting the weight on, it all went to my lower abs. Like that was the only place. My arms were still shredded, legs shredded, like glutes um, were still striated. Weeks and weeks later, where I expected a you know fairly gradual all over, um, and it literally all went straight to my stomach. And when I sort of started speaking to people about it, and said, "Why? Why is that? Why is it not distributed?" And it took the best part of a month to start to distribute itself. Um, and they said, "Well, think about where all your organs are. You know, it's winter, it's cold, you're very very skinny, um, so it's protecting your organs." Yeah. Uh, which I don't, I don't know if that's scientifically. Logical. I can't confirm well, or deny if that's scientifically no, true. No, but logical. What what I will say is I as I say from my own experience and from anecdotes of other people I've certainly heard that body fat doesn't always kind of come on or and whether that is kind of fluid whether it's body fat and other stuff I don't always come on where it came off 
and that sometimes mm-hmm. that can kind of be a bit skew whiffy and I think over time it will start to probably for most people even itself back out again but as I say I think that first initial phase post diet might be a month two months three months whatever I don't even know what phase it could be but that might actually be something to consider that GERS might not be overly indicative of real progress of weight gain afterwards and that's, that's why you, that's yeah opinion. that's why you, you take into account everything don't you that's yeah. why you don't just look at scale weight because right. your scale weight could be shooting up but physically you've not really changed body fat wise in the way you look yeah. but it's just, I, I yeah. think I think that gaining initial gaining phase is really hard to measure for those reasons because things are just weird and fucked up afterwards I think scale weight's probably a reasonable indicator along the along with your progress picks maybe your girth measurements but I think it's just being aware of that so they may be, be just odd um, yeah I guess what, what else is there to measure strength in the gym your progress in the mm-hmm. gym if that's yeah. going up obviously that's a good sign good indicator that you're getting back energy levels sleep like is your sleep kind of getting back on track because when most people diet their sleep starts to go a bit odd because the stress involved and it disrupts sleep libido um, did I say libido I think I said libido didn't I it's on your mind, but I don't think did, you did at some point. It's not on my mind, mate. It's well gone. I don't even consider it anymore. Um, not even on an anniversary. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I think that's probably most of it. Um, so if if at some point someone feels like they've been gaining but they've slowed, um, what could you do? Gaining weight or gain. Well, just in, in progression. What? So we're just going to assume maybe that they've stopped gaining weight. Say so they they feel like they're they're bulking. It so it might be their numbers not going to the gym. It might be they're not gaining weight any longer. Because if you're not gaining weight and for long enough, you're probably not building muscle. Because obviously, you for to gain muscle, you've got to go really put more weight on. So and obviously that could be over a reasonable period. I'm not saying if you don't gain weight in a week, that means you're not building muscle. Because <laughs> clearly, like muscle takes a lot longer to build than that. But if you've been eight weeks, twelve weeks, and not gained any weight, you're probably not gaining any muscle. Yeah, and if obviously if your visible body fat levels haven't dropped as well, um, and you're not sort of recomping, uh, then yeah, I'd look at right. Okay, um, is there anything we can add to your diet to potentially start to increase the weight? So whether you're tracking or not, you could say right. Let's add a healthy dollop of mayo to every meal, something quite small like that. Or you could say, right, okay, well, let's start tracking. Let's see how much you are eating. Let's see if that's consistent across the week. Excuse me. Um, can we start to increase that slowly? Um, can we look at your program? Uh, have you got stale with your numbers? Are you implementing progressive overload? Uh, yeah, so there's, there's two really easy uh and two massive factors to as why your weight might not yeah. be going upwards. Add, adding calories, I'm not sure I'd suggest adding mayo because it's disgusting. It depends horses um, for courses. Yeah. But <laughs> also, I think you can add mayo if you're reaching a point where extra food seems like a fucking nightmare, which does happen. Like for people that doesn't believe that place exists, uh, our friend Emily, Malazaki that is not racist before anyone fucking starts or everything's going on at the moment um, there's an internal or in, not an internal an inside joke um, however she, I, I've said to her that this place does exist um, that you will get to a point when you're overeating where you you are sick of the sight of food and most people mm-hmm. doesn't realise that that's a real thing yeah yeah and you're just <laughs> constantly eating and you just like you finish one meal and it's time for another one just like <laughs> yeah. so yeah so um, yeah the 
that when you get to that place then okay maybe adding a dollop of mayo is the right idea i would probably suggest for most other people then would maybe look at adding some extra food some whole foods preferably um or you know if you really want to add some junk food like say if your appetite is at a point where you can't stomach the fact of anything extra so um and i would also say does it matter or, or ask the question i should say say does it matter where they come from so i guess we just touched on slightly in terms of food types but what about macros does it matter yeah what so unless like anything was scarily low like their fats were scarily low or the protein or anything like that i'd always err on the side of carbohydrates looking at energy things like that um i wouldn't necessarily be bumping up the protein all the time unless they've had a big spike in weight um yeah so i'd, I'd predominantly unless, or i mean it's always kind of what's this what if what if but normally i'd say i'd say to clients look at your carbs try and increase your carbs if we're adding in you know a couple of hundred calories or whatever if um, 100, 100 calories. <laughs> then I'd say, right, okay, let's you know, twenty five grams of carbs. Try and add that in. If they're sick of the sight of carbs, then we might look at things like fats um, and kind of go down the liquid route, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd definitely go with with carbohydrates. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Um, carbs. Well, pro- protein generally stays pretty static along, like you said, with body mm-hmm. weight. So you know, if their body weight is reasonably similar, your protein's never really going to change. Um, I don't. I don't tend to change it too much anyway. Between dieting and, and massing, I kind of generally leave it quite the same. Arguably, you could probably suggest you could lower your protein rates a little bit when you're massing, because um, less requirement for it. You're, the, you're obviously far more in an anabolic environment all the time because you're in a surplus and not a deficit. So you could argue you could probably go on the lower end of like the protein recommendations. But that aside, it's generally pretty static. So. I wouldn't necessarily bother to add in more protein because more protein doesn't necessarily mean more muscle. I would probably say like you, probably more carbs for energy. Carbs at least, I think it was, uh, what's his face, Broderick Chavez said this once and it kind of resonated with me in that if you're choosing macronutrients to prioritise for muscle gain, um, what would you pick? Protein? So let's obviously take actually no let's take protein out of it because obviously we've already explained that. Would you pick carbs that have a slight anabolic effect because they obviously are insulinogenic and insulin has an anabolic effect, or would you pick fat that has no anabolic effect? You go carbs. So you'd probably go carbs if muscle gain is your thing, which I kind of agree with. I think um, plus for the most part it's gonna like the additional carbohydrates are probably gonna help training and stuff like that. Um, but what I will say is preference would generally probably trump most of those factors. Um, if you like fatty foods, then and you want more fats from to, to include in your diet, then go for it. But you hear people saying that though. I remember uh, way back in the day where somebody whose name rhymes with Ben Boomer. Uh, <laughs> Who's that? I think maybe maybe his name is Ben. <laughs> I got that up a bit. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, I have a, a preference towards uh, fats, and uh, basically, you like sausages. Um, and it's Most people, at the end of the day, like their carbohydrates. They like bread, pasta, all those sorts of things, unless they have a, a gluten intolerance. Then the, uh, yeah. Um, but um, most people do really like carbs. And if you say you can have an extra handful of potatoes, then they are going to thank you for it. Um, yeah, I think that is a massive assumption. However, <laughs> I'm definitely right. <laughs> I I agree, mate. Because there was if basically if I if carbohydrates didn't exist in my diet, I'd be fucking miserable. So, yeah. um, but so all you 
keto wankers. Great keto wankers. We just lost our, now another 50%. We're down to one listener. <laughs> uh, lastly, then, I guess if you didn't want to add calories, you could just reduce your activity. Now, reduce any cardio you're doing if you're doing some. Reduce your step count. Um, just lay about a bit more. Once you reduce, mm, basically, yeah, reduce your energy expenditure. So, therefore, you increase the surplus that way rather than increasing more food. So, I, I have done that once i told the clients stop walking so much um because they were smashing like twenty thousand steps because they were still in diet mode in the mind um but i mean if you're doing five thousand steps a day and you just turn around and go right okay i'm only gonna walk around the house then i'd start to argue about fitness levels and stuff like that and kind of health and stuff but um if you're if you yeah if you're like somebody who is super active um say you're a laborer and then you decide to go for an hour's walk every night as well, I'd probably say knock the hour's walk on the head, unless it's like crucial for your health mm-hmm. or enjoyment. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I've got a client at the moment, Amanda, who is um, overly active and we are working, we are we are proactively working on reducing our activity because of those sort of reasons. So, mm-hmm. If you're like a cardio bunny and you absolutely love smashing the cardio, that's, yeah, that, that'd be a conversation she, I definitely have. She, she used to average something like 20,000 steps a day or something like every day without without trying basically um like and that was like also training six days seven days a week and stuff so just ridiculous just way over overdone um so yeah we're proactively working on bringing that down ironically um to what you might consider in air quotes a more normal level which obviously sounds really really harsh but i think it's it's, it's also like what's necessary as well like if you're just unnecessarily wandering about then yeah it's yeah. not needed. No, and um, my other, one of my other clients, uh, Tom, shout out to Tom. Um, we're increasing activity because he's now we've now put together a lovely little running plan, which I'm very keen on on seeing what the end results are for that. We want to improve his 5K time, so we've put together a little running plan and um, obviously some nutritional intervention around it and some pre-fueling stuff to um, to help improve his his 5K time. So, which is quite. I was like, yeah, oh, my my times aren't very fast, and I was like, well, how fast do you do it? He said, oh, well. Uh, 20 minutes something I was like what it's not fast it's fucking rapid I was like Jesus Christ I mean I'll, you know I guess it's all relative because there's obviously people that do 5k in like 13 fucking minutes or something ridiculous but <laughs> but still I was like that's very good for your yeah, like, yeah. Like your novice runner like 20 minutes he wants to break obviously the 20 sub 20 minutes so which is what we're doing so we've got a nice little 16 week plan now to go through to, to hopefully improve that so, so pro- is that sort of slightly set up like a gym program with mesocycles little breaks uh, well it's just it's, overload. i suppose it's just a six week 16 week strategy of um kind of there obviously is some science behind it but different varieties of distances intensities and, and runs mapped out over 16 weeks so with the aim to improve uh well muscular endurance delivery of oxygen um speed that type of stuff so very sexy yeah yeah i'm, I'm interested to see how it goes on that just to see how much we can do in that in that 16 weeks by focusing on yeah, it, so. yeah. I, I designed a marathon plan for a client once and uh and they never followed it <laughs> oh to me ages oh what a <laughs> bastard tommy's to, tom is gonna he's definitely going to trust me on this one and, and push it through so i'll report back in 16 weeks and see how it's gone yeah yeah we'll uh, do a endurance uh an endurance episode again um, right on that note we are an hour 15 so let's say we wrap it up yeah yeah sounds good to me yeah right that's bye. it then bye thanks for listening to the no nonsense nutrition podcast we'll speak to you all next week <laughs>